Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got John Farthing, Peter Johnson, and I'm Hazel Burton. Yes, it is just the three of us today, but what we lack in quantity, we will surely make up for in quality. We've got a really packed show for you today. We're going to open the show with our film buff or film bluff quiz. Then we're going to move on to some recommendations. Then a brand new feature. A bland new feature. <laughs> no, I'm trying to sell it, John. When, and brand, oh, oh, bland. bland. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, Debate and Nerd is a new concept that we've come up with where we take on a topic and all debate it. The first topic we're going to take on is sequels. So what sequels got made that were shit and what sequels have never got made that should be. Then we're bringing the born identity back. So Peter is going to talk about an iconic film from the year he was born, which was, was that in the 20th century? <laughs> I hate is, you. Is it, is it a silent <laughs> film, Peter? <laughs> No. It is in colour. It's it, it's a painting of a horse <laughs> I in chalk on a wall in a cave. So if you're a Hitchcock fan, you're going to enjoy this section because we're going to talk about the birds. And finally, our spoiler review is going to be Skyscraper, which we've all been to see. So let's start the show. Okay, let's kick off the show with a film buff or film bluff quiz. So this is where we've all got three pieces of trivia, but we've made one of them up. So we've got to guess which one is the bluff. John, would you like to go first? I'm going to talk about wrestling. Um, Shit. Dan, <laughs> Dan isn't here. He's our wrestling fan. So I've got something that I may possibly fool one or both of you, hmm. but probably not, as is normally the case. Um, <laughs> the World Wrestling Federation, or World Wrestling Entertainment as it's now known, has had some odd storylines in the past. I have here three storylines, two of which are genuine WWE storylines, one of which is something that I have made up. Okay. Uh-huh. Number one, there was a tag team match in which Vince McMahon, the owner of the WWE, and his son Shane McMahon had a tag team match versus Shawn Michaels, the heartbreak kid, and God. <laughs> God was represented by a spotlight that just shined down <laughs> into yeah. the ring. Right. He uh, went into quite an in-depth explanation about that, and that normally flags that it's false. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a whole run-up to this with Vince McMahon talking right. to God in a church and then yeah. actually okay, wrestling God. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to not call that implausible till I've heard the other two. Yeah, I was going to say, I might have got, <laughs> spoke too soon. Um, number two, Mark Young, also known as Sexual Chocolate, <laughs> formed a alliance with 77-year-old ex-wrestler Mae Young. As part of the storyline, he impregnated her, and due to the birth going wrong, Mae Young gave birth to a giant rubber hand. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, it, does, it doesn't pass the pun test yet of whether no. that's the obvious lie. Uh, the hand was seen several years later as a giant growing up hand, which was just a, a, a face in a hand costume. Okay, and did it end up on Thanos by any chance? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> Finally, they had a storyline where The Rock was revealed to be a serial killer who, in the style of Highlander, got stronger by eating the hearts of wrestlers he had defeated. When they wanted to get rid of wrestlers on the wrestler when they were going to have to do something, The Rock would beat them, and then it turned out he was eating their hearts and getting their strength, and that's how he became the ultimate wrestler. Mm. So you was, got, was the rock a bad guy? Um, he was 
he, they tend to no all idea. go back and forth. So okay. you'll be a good guy for a couple of months and then you'll change. And... There'll be wrestling fans who are screaming at us right now, but mm. I've never seen anything, so I have no, no idea. So you've got a wrestling match against God. <laughs> yeah. Being a spotlight in the I, I think that's plausible. Mm-hmm. In America, in the... Yeah. yeah. Mm. Sexual chocolate impregnating a 77-year-old wrestler who gives birth to a hand. Mm. <laughs> or the rock as a serial killer eating the hearts of other wrestlers to gain their strength see dan's a big fan of the rock so he would know whether that's true or not so i don't think you'd put that in as a bluff do you believe any of these three <laughs> no but uh, um the second one's just ridiculous like I, d- I think that has to be true giving birth to a fucking hand first one's <laughs> ridiculous as well <laughs> i'm keeping a poker face Aww. It's not often we take so long over your buffer bluff, John. We always know instantly. <laughs> we probably recognise bullshit when we see yeah. it. I, I, I have no idea. I'm going to go for number one. I know some of the storylines did involve Vince McMahon. Pretty sure I remember something about that. Vince McMahon has died in the past and had a funeral and then come back to life. <laughs> okay. And right. he's found out he's got an illegitimate son who is a person of short stature called Hornswoggle who dresses a leprechaun. <laughs> None of this sounds brilliant. Uh, also, he famously fought Donald Trump in a hair versus hair I match. I have seen that And one. Got, got his head shared by Donald Trump. Yeah. Shame it wasn't the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I no idea. Just gonna I'm going to go with three. The Rock. The Rock. The Rock is bullshit. Yeah, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The Rock never ate the hearts of other wrestlers. Mm. Not even Brett Hitman heart. No, <laughs> Brett Hitman heartless. <laughs> There was a storyline, apparently, where Kane's girlfriend died as a result of something Kane did, and he was very upset about this. And the highlight of the storyline was Triple H, who was his rival at the time, dressing up as Kane, invading the funeral of Kane's girlfriend, and having sex with the corpse in a casket. Mm. This was on primetime <laughs> TV in America in the 90s. Mm, I feel like I need to get into wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny. I think, it, I, yeah. I think it's much tamer now. I think they've gone for PG thirteen now, but so, certainly in the nineties, it was crazy. Mm. My buff or bluff is about my favourite film of all time, Seven. Mm. The first one by sheer luck. It was the seventh highest grossing film of the year. The year was nineteen ninety five, of course. Number two, Alec Baldwin and Daniel Day Lewis both turned down the role of David Mills. And number three, the studio tried to mitigate the bleakness of the ending by replacing Mill's wife's head, spoiler alert, with the head of one of their dogs. Mill's is the Brad Pitt character, yeah. yeah. Mm. What's in the box? Mm-hmm. What's in the box? Mm. Actually, that was, was the darkest episode of Deal or No Deal ever. <laughs> John, is there not a story to do with which version of the script someone was mm-hmm. sent? Someone got sent the dark ending in system doing the dark yeah. ending yeah. to do with Seven. That was Brad Pitt, da- wasn't it? Y- yeah, David Fincher got sent the bleak ending script mm. by accident. The studio intended to be a softer ending where either David Mills doesn't shoot Kevin Spacey or Somerset shoots him for him. But for the third piece of my trivia, during the shoot, they try to replace the wife's head with one of their dogs. That's worse because he's killed his wife and the dog. No, just, just- the dog. They didn't put the white's head in the box and then replace it with a dog's head. <laughs> like, you know, like when you buy a birthday present, you go, no, that won't do. And then... no. he, he pulls out the wife's head and then you see the dog's head underneath. underneath. Oh, <laughs> no. 
I, I know number three is true because I've heard that story, but I would imagine in America, the audience would object more to a dog's head being in a box, probably, than Quidditch Paltrow. It's much so. harder to kill yeah. a dog in America. We don't yeah. see anyone's head, um, but they were going to say it was the dog's. It's one of my annoyances in films where when they kill dogs mm. or imply that a dog is being killed, there will inevitably be like a little insert shot that's been put in after a test the audience screen of the dog yeah. being okay. It's a yeah. it's a very simple way to just say that someone's a villain. If they're cruel mm-hmm. to animals, that's it. There, there is no comeback for them. I think, War, have you seen War of the Roses? The Michael Douglas, um, Kathleen uh, Turner Kathleen film. Kathleen Turner yeah. one, yeah. It's a great film, but there's a bit in it where she feeds Michael Douglas a pie. And she goes, ah, ha, ha, it's your dog. And that's like he, the turning track moment. record, doesn't he, of um, crazy woman cooking yeah. his pit pets. <laughs> um, but then there's a really obvious shot that's been inserted afterwards of the dog on a driveway looking up to make sure she was only joking. I saw it in another film the other day as well. What, the same dog? The same dog. Just to prove Just, that uh, yeah. that dog lived. Yeah. It's in every, every Michael <laughs> Douglas film. Lasse. <laughs> um, so I know that one is true. Okay. Yeah. Who were the two people you said turned down the role? Uh, Alec Baldwin and Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis would have been great. Different people to cast, though. What was the first one again? By sheer coincidence, it was the seventh highest grossing film of the year. I don't think it did that well. I'm going with number two. I'm going to go with number one. It was a hit, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't a summer blockbuster. Well, the film made $327 million. And it was the seventh highest grossing film of the year beaten by a couple of little-known films like Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, Peter, you're right. I made up the fact that they were interested. It was Two for two. Al Pacino and Denzel Washington were both approached and both turned it down. Uh, Washington kind of expressed regret later when he'd seen the film. And yeah, about the studio constantly trying to make the ending less bleak and the actors and David Fincher constantly fighting back to get the, the ending that they eventually showed. Thank God. Peter. Mine are about James Bond, which I know is something John knows very little I about. Just, I don't get James Bond. I don't know why. It's just a, it's just a cinematic black spot for me. <laughs> I know some things about James <laughs> okay. Bond. <laughs> okay, the first fact is that more James Bond novels have been written by John Gardner than by original author Ian Fleming. Ooh. Full-length novels? Or... Full-length novels, yeah, okay. yeah. So basically, after he died, other people have written mm-hmm. Bond novels since. Fact number two, there's a brand of condoms in China named after James Bond. We <laughs> can't have two bluffs in a row about condoms. Called Jizbon. Jizbon. <laughs> Jizbon. Where is that? China, did you in say? China. I would guess James Bond doesn't use condoms. I don't, I don't think he cares. <laughs> I mean, the guy's yeah. riddled, isn't he? <laughs> I think it's if you want to be like James Bond, you would wear his condom. But I guess it's not really going method, mm-hmm. is it? No. Okay. What happens to the women in between the films? They normally die. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, at the end, he's always got some lady and then she's... Yeah. Did he bump them off in between films or...? No, yeah, he it... just moved on to someone else, I think. Yeah. I think the idea was always he bedded a lot of yeah. women when mm. that was not hideously unfashionable. Yeah, but then he told them, it's not me, it's you. I see. It's yeah. not you, it's me even. <laughs> when he offered to get out of his jizz bomb, they, uh, they ran yeah. away. And for the third fact, returning to the point, several established authors have written one-off Bond novels, including Sebastian Fawkes and Alastair MacLean. So the three facts were that more James Bond novels have been written by John Gardner than by original author Ian Fleming, that there's a brand of condoms in China named after James Bond called Jizz Bomb, 
and that Sebastian Falks and Alastair MacLean wrote James Bond one-off novels. I think I know Sebastian Falks has. Yeah, that rings well with me as well. I'm just thinking of like the condoms being advertised by some like American actor advertising them like just bar. <laughs> some fake <laughs> fake James Bond. Yeah, like Jim Carrey, like Jim Carrey's James Bond is is something that I don't want to think about, and now it's all I'm going to think about. <laughs> all righty then. <laughs> At least it wasn't Spider-Man. Yeah. Oh dear. Um, yeah, I, unless, it's, unless it's an elaborate double bluff, because we've had the uh, we've had yeah. the slivery condoms last week. <laughs> I think that there have been more James Bond novels written by people that aren't in Fleming. I think you might be right. Well, but, no, that wasn't the thing. But that's the thing, yeah. yeah I don't think John Gardner, whoever right. he is... <laughs> Has written, unless it's just some guy who is. I've written twenty nine James Bond novels. Are these published? These novels? are published, not, officially published novels. Yeah, not, yeah, not just a lonely guy in his basement with his jizz bomb. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I can't come up. I'm writing a James Bond novel. Um, I think that's the. I think that's the bluff. I think there's been more James Bond novels no, not written by Ian Fleming, but that they were not all written by John the Gardener. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I think the Sebastian Fawkes one is true. Um, and I just think that you've like delighted yourself that you found a condom bluff that could be true. So I'm going to agree with John and say the first one. You know me so well. <laughs> um, but you're both wrong. Oh. <laughs> Ian Fleming wrote 14 novels and nine short stories. And John Gardner's written 16 novels. There is a brand of condoms called Jisbon. Mm, of course there is. <laughs> And though Sebastian Fawkes has written a James Bond novel, Alastair MacLean hasn't. But Kingsley Amos has. Kingsley Amos wrote the James Bond dossier, which completely pulls apart Fleming's style. And then he also wrote a novel called Colonel Sun under the pseudonym of Robert Markham. Mm. Mm, very good. But even the films that are based on Ian Fleming novels aren't that close, are they? Other than uh, some yeah, of the very it, it depends early... on how filmable the novels were. I mean, some like The Spy Loved Me. The first nine chapters, James Bond isn't even in it, and he just turns up for the last couple of chapters. Quite a few of the movies are just based on the title of a short story. I think Quantum of Solace is, a, a gem, is an Ian Fleming short story, isn't it? And a terrible film. <laughs> I saw Skyfall. I was just confused. Like, I thought Em was dead, and then she's on TV. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, Em's dead. Didn't M die in the yeah. end? Of- yeah, she got stabbed. Oh, so there's another one after Skyfall. Yes. Yeah. Fuck me, there's a lot of these films. So what's the 24, last one? 24, I think. Something like that. What? No, the one after Skyfall was called... Um, Spectre. Spectre. Spectre, that's the one. Yeah, it was a, she was... I think yeah, you might be dreaming about Judy Dench. Always. <laughs> Judy Dredged. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> there's nothing like a dame. <laughs> So uh, Peter wins with two correct, mm-hmm. and uh, well, you said that grudgingly. Did I? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I no, I'm just affirming that what John said is correct. <laughs> and I got, mm-hmm. I got zero. I think you got one, and I got zero. Which one did I get? Oh no, correct? you didn't get one. No, no, no I'm, we're, I'm, we're, I'm we're, no, we're, not for two. We're joint zeros. Uh, we're joint P- losers. P- Peter is our bluff champion this this week. <laughs> right but it's all right because we never keep scoring. Never, <laughs> never. <laughs> never. <laughs> Just trying to insert an element of competition. You keep your insertions to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and away from Judy Dench. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's part of the show where we talk about what we've been watching recently. So who would like to go first for our recommendations segment? I think it should be me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since I normally go first, (laughs) let's switch things around a bit. Okay. Listeners, you just missed a very smutty joke, uh, but I'll I'll have my recommendation (laughs) first. It's a film that came out last year, but has just appeared on Sky Movies, and I watched it the other night, and it's called American Made. Mm. It stars Tom Cruise, and it's directed by Doug Lyman, who's done stuff like The Bourne Identity, Go, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. He also did Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise, which was really, really good. The plot focuses on uh, someone called Barry Seal, who's played by Tom Cruise. Is he a seal? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes that the, the film is basically Free Willy 4. Oh, but with Tom Cruise in a seal costume. I, I would watch that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's my recommendation done. Yeah. <laughs> no, Barry Seal is actually a former commercial pilot. Um, he gets recruited With by... His flippers. <laughs> Fly to play. He's a multi-talented seal. Um, can I get through this without being... <laughs> yes. I'll go study the naughty corner. <laughs> Barry Seal is a commercial pilot who uh, gets caught smuggling cigars, but he gets caught by someone from the CIA and then gets recruited to basically fly missions for them. I don't know why you're laughing. This is the serious bit. My mind, it's still (laughs) seal going for all this. (laughs) Um, Taking photos of certain volatile regions in Central and South America. But during one of those missions, he gets caught by uh, the Colombians, including Pablo Escobar, and he starts drug smuggling for them. So he's essentially kind of working for both sides, uh, the CIA and the Colombians. It's kind of Tom Cruise flying on the planes, which is really exciting because there's some really cool incidents where there's a really short runway and there's a moment where um, he actually stops flying the plane so he can go to the trap door, I'm going to call it. I don't know what aircraft things are called, to release the packages. And that's all done for real. And Doug Lyman has kind of said he was flying in a helicopter alongside watching the biggest star on the planet abandon his cockpit and go... He's watching the rock do it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and he just yeah got incredibly nervous but obviously it's Tom Cruise he'll be up for anything and it's actually quite exciting knowing that it's all real it's absolutely batshit crazy but it's a completely true story and you just can't genuinely believe that it's all happened the film kind of takes a light-hearted approach to him basically wanting to get the next adrenaline rush he does have a family his actions have a tremendous consequence on but it doesn't really focus on them too much you could have gone to quite a dark place but it keeps like the fun levels up and I was all right with that. I didn't try to pretend to be something it's not. And um, it was just a really, really fun action film. And Tom Cruise is actually great in it. I'm not I'm not his biggest fan, but he was really, really good. I don't like Tom Cruise in things normally. I don't know why. I just never find him convincing. He's in some of my favourite films. Like I, I love A Few Good Men. I think he's brilliant in that. Um, Mission Impossible is one of my favourite films as well. Um, so... If you if you you know if you if you're a fan of Tom Cruise of yesteryear, go and watch American Made because it's back to his best. Do you know that Tom Cruise is now older than John Voight was in the original Mission Impossible? Oh really? Yeah. How old is Tom Cruise? About fifty-five. Looking good for it. <laughs> Maybe it's John Voight all along and is just wearing a mask. Just pulls the mask off. Mm. Mm. That sounds interesting. It's yeah. It's, check it sounds it out. similar to another film. Of a few years ago that I can't quite remember. Below, by any chance? That would be the one, yeah. Yeah, with Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a fantastic film as well. Um, I'd say this one's a little bit more light-hearted than that mm-hmm. one. Um, 
Yeah, it's on uh, Sky Cinema now, so check it out if it sounds up your street. Mm -hmm. I'm going to recommend a DVD Blu-ray company. Because we all watch DVDs now. Well, this is the thing, you see. What's one of them? It's, uh, Granddad. It's, it's physical media that doesn't disappear when Netflix decides to pull it halfway through watching it. It's nice to own things. <laughs> it's nice to have something. Okay. It's a company called Arrow Video who have done... Um, it sounds like <clears throat> such a dodgy 80s it, it, it's thing kind of, you'd see on a VHS. Yes, it, it's a little bit. It's, it's an old school logo as well. Um, but I've not bought DVDs or Blu-rays for ages, but I'd, I'd heard about these and I was in Fox in London and they were doing these for £6 each. And the proper old school DVDs absolutely packed with special features. And they're all old cult classics of the 70s and 80s. A lot of horror movies in there and a lot of thrillers. They're not all genre films, but I've got things like The Thing, um, Dressed to Kill, The 70s Invasion of the Body Snatchers um, and, and a few others. And they're just lovely. They've, they've been restored, the 4K restorations, um, but they look amazing. And they've not got that compression that a lot of people put on Blu-rays where they try and make them look like video. They've got like the, the old school grain. It's the best I've seen these films look for ages. And just the amount of care and attention that's gone into them. They tend to have all the old special features that were on all the old original DVDs and Blu-rays. And then feature-length documentaries. So there's a, a new feature-length documentary about the thing, um, a new audio commentary. Uh, little booklets in the front with essays as well about the film. The nicest thing, I think, is they've got reversible sleeves, so you've got a choice of the original video art or poster on one side, and then on the other side, a newly commissioned mm. uh, piece of art. And it's, it's just nice to yeah. have something that has that much effort put yeah. into it and to see a film with all the extras. I do miss things like that because I remember getting the extended edition of all the Lord of the Rings, and somewhat the, I think the same person who'd done the concept art for the films did the art for the DVDs themselves. Mm -hmm and it had just been incredibly well thought through and then you've got all these amazing extras. Um, so I do, I do miss things like that where you just tend to stream something and then and that's it. I was going to ask how often people watch the extras now on DVDs. Do, yeah, you, do, no. do you always watch them or do you, you used rarely to, watch them? Or? used to watch them all the time, used to listen to director's commentary, everything, and mm. I don't anymore. I, I kind of look things, stuff up on the internet afterwards, like I go on IMDb or Wikipedia yeah. and, and read facts about the film, mm. but I don't watch any features now. The thing is, there was a lot of bad special features, particularly when DVD was in its heyday. For a new film, you would get, a, a it would say like a documentary and it'd be 10 minutes of behind the scenes clips with talking heads from the interviews mm. that came out when the film came out and the commentary with the director saying how amazing everybody was to work with and how they loved everybody. But if you look sort of classic films where there was a bit more time and they were not selling the film as much, there's some brilliant making ofs. Uh, the mm. ones on the... The Alien box set are some of the best yeah. I've seen. When's, yeah, when's the right time to watch a director's commentary? Do you do it just after you watch the film? Do you, do you wait, say, a week? Mm. You know, when, when's the right time? It depends on the film, I think. Mm. It depends how much you want to know about the making of it and how much you liked it. So if the mm -hmm. film that I was feeling a bit meh about, I wouldn't want to know anything more about it. But if it was a film I was really into. So like The Quiet Place is probably the film this year that I have most enjoyed and I... Mm -hmm really want to hear John Krasinski's kind of take on it and how he developed everything. The, the commentary for The Quiet Place is quite disappointing. Mm. It, it keeps, it, it's, <laughs> it starts and it's, shh. Yeah. <laughs> Bad example. What about, the, um, what about the one for Mars Attacks that was in the language of the Martians? Um, yeah, I didn't see that one. Um, that might have yeah. been the subtitle version. Mm -hmm. 
But I, I do know what you mean about lots of behind the scenes features going out. Isn't, isn't everything great? We all got along. We had such good chemistry. Mm-hmm. With Lord of the Rings, that wasn't the case. You know, they they all kind of said that there was some very dark moments on that set and sometimes you saw them as well. And it's like, yeah, some of us didn't get along. And in The Hobbit, actually, you actually saw Siri McKellen break down because he felt so lonely at the way that it was shot in that he was isolated doing scenes in his scaled version of um, uh, what's Bilbert Baggins thing called? Burrow. The Burrow, is it? Anyway, that place. <laughs> uh, Hobbit Hole. The Hobbit Hall is... Yeah. Oh, no, that was a different film. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and then all of the dwarves were in another Hobbit hole, um, <laughs> entertaining themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can see Ian McKellen very visibly break down because he um, wasn't part... Oh, Twelve Hobbits oh, in his for hole. God's sake. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I have nothing more to say on the subject. <laughs> Peter Jackson does really good... Um, yeah, extras their frighteners as well mm. has a really really good making of documentary it's on my list mm. you'll enjoy it he's a, he's a big old film nerd I think and he likes likes talking about it so that's my very long winded recommendation it's it's more recommendation for going back to special features yeah. and enjoying a film yeah. package rather than just a film Peter yeah my recommendation is for the series Humans has anyone mm. watched that I have been told vociferously to get into it. It's Sorry, I've seen the hot, gum. hot robots. Gemma Chan is a robot. She is a robot and yeah. she is fairly hot, but yes, that's not the point. <laughs> She's married to or engaged to that toss pot. Uh, Jack, Jack Whitehall. Jack, there's no justice in the world, is there? <laughs> if ever anybody was reaching up and someone reaching down. Reaching round. <laughs> <laughs> so, humans. It's now in its third series. It started by showing how humans and robots would coexist, with most families seeing them as you know, like an appliance, like a fridge. Then in later seasons, it show how humankind copes as the robots become sentient and start to think for themselves. It follows a family led by Catherine Parkinson from the IT crowd, who plays a lawyer, Laura Hawkins. Her husband buys a synth to fill in around the house, but later we see him enable an adult mode to have sex with the robot which causes all sorts of problems when the truth comes out, because their synth was one of the first to be sentient. She's created by a robotic genius, played by William Hurt, to help raise his son following an accident. He also created another five or six robots to act as brothers and sisters to help bring him up into the world. Laura ends up defending a synthetic human against a murder charge, and later championing the course of the synths in a government committee, as her family dissolves around her instead. Joe decides he hates synths and abandons his family to live in an all-human community, but when he later discovers a synth hiding in that community, he shows compassion and does his best to protect her and her synthetic son. So he has quite a nice sort of character arc and reversal there. The later series, 3, shows the world coping with the release of a software update which gives sentience to all the existing synths. It's a fairly clear analogy of refugees and the sort of stuff that's happening in America at the moment with the synths living in separate camps and certain sections of society bullying and attacking synths they find among them. As with most sci-fi, it's not really about the robots. It's a way of looking at ourselves through a different lens, particularly how we interact with family or friends and how we treat strangers. If you haven't watched it, give it a try. If you only watched the first series, the second and third do expand well on that beginning, and uh, it does reward a watch. That sounds to me like a cross between Westworld, AI, Blade Runner... 
just sounds like lots is of things. Is that because it has robots in it? I've heard mixed things about it. Mm-hmm. I've heard that its ambition is not matched by its execution. Well, it's it's like an alternate present day, which you could argue makes it more relatable, but also mm-hmm. it does make it a lot cheaper to make. <laughs> it sounds like the kind of thing that I'm really interested in from a like a work point of view, because I work in cybersecurity and it's like kind of questions I get asked all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, are they- Is my sex robot going to become sentient? <laughs> <laughs> That's that's number one, yeah. Mine was 20 quid from Amsterdam, so I'm guessing no. <laughs> I think actually it might just be a toaster with a face painted on it. Oh, Don't God. plug it in, John. <laughs> I've just pictured that and it's, oh, it's atrocious. It's when it pops up, that's the problem. Yeah. But it said two working now. <laughs> Is it a, a four-hole toaster just, or just, two? <laughs> just two? I couldn't afford the four-hole model. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried about where the fourth one is. <laughs> oh dear! There's something women had tell me. The secret fourth hole. No, we will never tell you where the fourth hole is. <laughs> Do not count the nostrils. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a very intellectually stimulating series, Peter, and I shall be starting to watch it. <laughs> But probably won't. I'm, I'm guessing because <laughs> you'll be thinking of the toast. Yeah. <laughs> if it's a British series, is it just six episodes per series or is it longer? I think it's eight for the yeah. first one. So, I don't, and probably it's that for each series. So it's not a massive time commitment to catch up with it. It's time now for The Born Identity. This is where we are all talking about iconic films from the year that we were born. And for this episode, it's Peter's turn. So when were you born, Peter? I was born in 1963. Shame. <laughs> shame. Thank you. <laughs> 19 what? 1963. 63. Yeah. Right. Okay. Hide your disbelief. <laughs> I would say 64 at least. It's only 55. <laughs> <laughs> the same year Kennedy was assassinated. The Vietnam War was in progress. The Beatles had the first UK and US number one and the... They invented electricity? No. <laughs> and the Daleks made their first appearance on Doctor Who. Hmm. It's the same year the lava lamp was introduced, the cassette tape, and the flymo. The what? Do you know what a flymo is? No. It's like a hovering lawnmower. We have a hovering lawnmower and we yeah. don't have a hovering hoverboard from Back no. to the Future. No. But something's it's gone plugged wrong. in the mains, and a hoverboard plugged in the mains wouldn't be much use. To differ. In the same year was Johnny Depp, George Michael, Seal, Fatboy Slim, and Mark Kermode, which mm. kind of surprised me because I didn't realise he was the same age as me. Fatboy Slim, he's still down with the kids, isn't he? What are you saying there, John? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying I don't remember the last time you dropped an E and danced for four hours. <laughs> yeah, nor do I. <laughs> so movies that year included The Pink Panther, Cleopatra, the Great Escape, From Russia with Love, and Summer Holiday. My mum's favourite film. Really? Okay. <laughs> so I've seen Summer Holiday more times than a lot of much better films. The, the film I've chosen is The Birds, which is one of Alfred Hitchcock's best-known films. How do you do? My name is Alfred Hitchcock. And I would like to tell you about my forthcoming lecture. It is about the birds and their age-long relationship with man. It will be seen in theatres like this across the country. 
In my lecture, I hope to make you all aware of our good friends, the birds. Theirs is a noble history, and through it all, man has played a conspicuous part. Very little of the source novella remains, as the characters are all new. They were written by Evan Hunter, also known as crime writer Ed McBain, who um, I think gave his name to a Simpsons character, didn't you, John? He did, yes. It's basically a love story for the first half of the film, with Rod Taylor's square-jawed leading man pranking Tippy Hedren in a pet store by pretending he wants to buy a pair of lovebirds for his sister. She decides to get him back by discovering his address and delivering a pair where he lives, which is a bit of a stalkerish thing to do, it's, it's isn't it? It's a crap prank. Yeah. It's not like Jerry Beadle's class here. <laughs> yeah. Today, we're going to pretend to buy a lovebird. Mm. She then ends up sort of swanning around a tiny fishing village in a fur coat with an Aston Martin. In perpetual soft focus for every close-up, like if you look at old Star Trek, every time they cut to Kirk's love interest, it would always be smear the Vaseline over the lens. At least I assume it was Vaseline. <laughs> <laughs> it takes something that's normally not scary, which is birds, when they're all around you, you, you know, you don't feel threatened. Really? <laughs> you never had a Greg sausage roll at the coast then. <laughs> 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 An everyday thing suddenly takes on this much scarier aspect when they gang up on you, I suppose. Just a single seagull. Really? <laughs> That's all it takes. Named Barry. Barry, Barry the seagull. <laughs> okay. After a few individual attacks at the beginning of the film, it's only really when they start attacking en masse and sort of gathering outside the buildings that you, you sense trouble happening. And the soundtrack, which is all sort of electronically manipulated bird sounds, all becomes quite scary and oppressive and, and different and strange and must have been very unusual at the time the film was released. The bird flying effects still look pretty good when the birds are attacking people, but where their legs have been pecked and things looks terrible. It looks like they just literally scattered bits of tomato ketchup over their legs and doesn't look at all convincing. Mm-hmm. The acting hasn't really aged particularly well. It still feels a bit like that sort of very 50s enunciating clearly through mm-hmm. the entire film. It was Tippi Hedren's first film role. Uh, Hitchcock chose her because she kind of looked like a film star rather than for anything else. And I think he slightly unkindly said that she couldn't act, but at least that means she didn't have lots of bad habits. There's a whole discussion to be had about Tippi Hedren and Hitchcock, mm-hmm. isn't there? The story is that he really wanted Grace Kelly. All right. Well, yeah, you can see that. But at this point, Grace Kelly had gone off to be Princess Grace Kelly. Of Monaco. Of mm. Monaco, yeah. Mm. I may have got the timing slightly wrong on this, but he felt that he'd been let down by Grace Kelly. Mm. She'd already done Rear Window for him. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was late 50s, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And I think at this point, he kind of wanted somebody he could mould. Right. And he treated her absolutely terribly, and particularly on Marnie, which is the film that came afterwards. Yeah. Even in the film, um, so, some of the way he did the effects... And lied to her about how he was doing the effects. So he essentially trapped her in a loft and threw live birds at her. Five days. Five days, yeah. Some mm. of which were tied to her with strings so they couldn't get away. Yeah, see, there's a limit on things like that. Because famously, Alan Rickman in Die Hard, they said that they were going to let him go on three when he was um, falling back uh, mm. with the gun. And they let him go on two. So his like his look mm-hmm. of genuine horror is, well, genuine. <laughs> said that word too soon. I think that's acceptable, but something like that is going too far. Mm-hmm. I mean, they told her they were going to be model birds and it was going to be done with effects. And apparently on the day of the shoot, none of the crew would look her in the eye. Oh, because they knew, what, they knew what was about to happen, yeah. Oh dear. I suppose another famous example, obviously, the alien chestburster scene yeah, they didn't as well, where the happen. cast yeah. weren't told about that. Yeah. Which is ironic because the daughter in The Birds is also the navigator in Alien. Huh. Oh, of course. Yeah. Veronica Cartwright. 
Have you seen the 2012 film with Toby Jones about Hitchcock? Mm-hmm. No, I was going to ask about Hedron. that. Like, what film do they focus on for that? Marnie More Than The Birds, I think, for right. that. There was the big budget one with Anthony Hopkins that yes, came out, which yeah. was about the making of Psycho. Michelle Williams and Jessica Biel, I think, yeah. yeah. And that very much brushed over the more unpalatable aspects of his life. Mm. But then the Toby Jones one is a much better film and delves into that sort mm. of thing. He's a, he's a fascinating character. There's, there's a guy called Donald Sporter who wrote two books about Hitchcock. He wrote a book about the films of Alfred Hitchcock. And then about 10 years later, he released a book called The Dark Side of Genius, The Life of Alfred Hitchcock, which was the first time all these allegations were yeah. dealt with. And it was explosive at the time. And everybody was kicking off saying, you know, treating an icon like this, it's appalling. But, and, you know, it was later corroborated. And I think that's... I think Hedron, cor- Hedron corroborated it. Yeah. Though some other women he worked with have said the opposite. Mm-hmm. What cameo does he make in The Birds? Uh, just near the beginning, he walks into the uh, pet store. With uh, two little dogs on leads. And it's within about a minute of the film starting. Right. It got to the point where people were looking for Hitchcock's cameo and it was distracting them from the film. So he was putting them very early on. So people right. saw yeah, him and then, then could enjoy the film. The bloke in the film, Rod Taylor, he's probably best known for being in The Time Machine, the H.G. Wells mm-hmm. movie. But what I also didn't know is he's the voice of Pongo in 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> did you know that? <laughs> I did not know that. So, do you enjoy the film? So, you're a fan? Uh, I enjoyed it. I think you appreciate it more if you view it in context of how old it is. Mm. I'm not sure I would... En- I, would I don't when think you, you would enjoy it? it if you'd seen it now. Uh, oh, I, I probably watched about 30 years ago. I've only watched it twice. I saw it for the first time, probably about 2000. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. It's one of my mm. favourite films. Oh, okay. I, I don't like the ending. I, th- I think it's a bit of a nothing ending. It's like the bit in Sergeant Pepper's where they're creeping past the blue meanies asleep. And it's basically a bit like that. There's a whole bunch of birds just kind of sat there outside their house and they just sort of sneak past them and drive off in the car. And that's the end. But you don't know, is it the whole world? Is it just this village? There was originally talk about carrying on filming it and they were going to go over the Golden Gate Bridge mm-hmm. in San Francisco and mm-hmm. you were going to see it just completely covered in birds. But I think, I think that final shot of them just sat there in silence watching the car drive away, just the screen full of birds and the, the noise, the electricity, it's terrifying. It's a, it's a brilliant ending. So how many seagull attacks out of 10 would you give the birds? Uh, a solid eight. Eight seagull attacks? Mm-hmm. Ten. Is it, is it, it genuinely is in my top 10 films, I think, of all time. Is it your favourite Hitchcock film? No, Vert, Vertigo. Yeah. Okay. So is your top 10 films all Hitchcock films? Uh, no, just those two. All right, I thought Psycho would have been in there. Hmm, I do, I do really, I do really, <laughs> really like Psycho, but I prefer, I prefer the Birds and Vertigo. But Vertigo is almost perfect. It's time for debate a nerd. So every week, or well, I guess whenever the weeks that we feel like it, we're going to take on a topic <laughs> and uh, debate nerd it. Yeah, let's go with that. Debate nerd it. Debate nerd it. Yes, it's a thing. Stop looking at me like that. Our topic for this week is films that deserved a sequel and thus far have not received that sequel. Has anyone got any thoughts on films that deserve one? How about District 9? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Blomkamp's had a bit of a checkered history since that movie. But I thought the movie itself was really good and was a sort of fresh take on how aliens might be received. 
And yeah, I, mm-hmm. I would have been interested it, it built to see world, what else didn't he would it? do. So yeah. we, we all saw one small part of that mm-hmm. world, so I would I would see more of that. But I, Neil Blomkamp, he's doing Robocop 2, isn't he? Mm, it's not a sequel. I think it's just like a remake of a remake of a remake. No, I, I, I think it's intended to be a sequel to Robocop. Yeah, well, I read it. Oh, yeah. yeah, it follows on for the, the Herb. Sorry, yeah. No, yeah. you're right. It just... It, it, uh, disregards Robocop 2 as it was at the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, This seems to be a new thing, actually, of side sequels, alternate sequels. Yeah. The new Terminator film. And Alien, they've talked about a similar approach yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm. The new Terminator is an alternate Terminator 3 because mm. it's following, it's ignoring everything apart from the first yeah. two. They, they did it with, uh, what is it Superman Returns, where they just disregarded three and four and mm-hmm. had Brandon Ralph. Ha- Halloween they've done it with yeah. as well. Twice. The, the new Halloween, mm. again, is ignoring. I have a real problem with Superman Returns. Because it's shite. So you watch Superman 2? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is one of my favourite films. They make sweet, sweet super love in the Fortress yeah. of Solitude. They do. At the end of Superman 2, what happens? He becomes Superman again. He becomes Superman. He gives her a magic memory kiss and she doesn't remember any of this happening. Yeah. Superman returns. She's got a kid. Mm-hmm. The kid turns out to be Superman's kid, presumably from Fortune of Solitude from time. <laughs> she doesn't remember having said, how did this happen, Superman? What did you do to me? And why don't I remember it? Well, she doesn't know Superman. Well, yeah, she, she doesn't Does she anything. think it's Clark's baby? Oh, she, she's never yeah. as Whose far as baby she, does she think it is? I thought she like think that like, oh, she got drunk and didn't know yeah. once. Oh, Did she have a night <laughs> out where? Could, yeah, like, it, maybe it, it could have happened. I, I think by the end of the film, it's very clear that it's Superman's kid because he does some. It, maybe she thinks it's midi chlorians. <laughs> a magic explanation <laughs> for everything. I, I, I just yeah. feel like I'd be I'd be down the police station reporting Superman. <laughs> Yeah, I have, I have bigger problems with that movie with, than that, but okay. The best thing in that movie is Kevin Spacey, which is unfortunate. Oh, no, that's he's, not he, down he, that he's, rabbit hole. He's the, he's, the best, he's the best screen Lex Luthor. Oh, best big screen Lex Luthor. What about Luther. Gene Hackman? No. No? Nope. Played too much for laughs. Mm, I, I heartily disagree. The first hour of that film is mm. great. Once he becomes Superman and once Gene Hackman appears and his comedy sidekick. Yeah. It really goes downhill. I enjoyed the Prison Escape. I think that was good. Mm. No, it's not 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 a terrible film, but mm. I'm just the, young, the bit the bits in Smallville are brilliant. Mm. Is it the first or the second one where he kind of undoes time by flying the wrong way around the earth? The first one. It was originally the second one. Though. There's a story about how they oh, originally planned to film Superman and Superman two together. Right. They started to run out of money three quarters of the way through, so stopped filming. By which point they had most of Superman in the can and mm. a chunk of Superman too, but they didn't have the ending for Superman. I don't think they'd figured out the ending. So they essentially stitched the ending of Superman 2 onto Superman, right. released that, and then went back and filmed with a different director, which is why Superman 2 yeah. totally is all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the remaining bits of Superman 2, which is why Richard it has... Donner? Richard Donner? It's Richard Lester and Richard Donner are the two. Yeah. Richard Donner did the first and Richard Lester did... Right the reshoots on the second and I think it's about 50-50 you, you can tell because Margot Kiddo got a cocaine habit in between the first film of the reshoots she in peace she did die a couple oh, months ago <laughs> yeah. yes she did oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a new theme people John has just remembered are dead <laughs> and just insulted yeah I remember having my tiny mind blown at the Eiffel Tower sequence at the beginning mm. of Superman 2 so if that wasn't designed to be in there, I'll be shocked. But um, I, I remember thinking that is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, Superman 2 is one of my favourite films. Have you seen the Richard Donner cut? No. 
it's a bit rough to watch, but they went back, they took as much of the Richard Lester stuff out as they could mm-hmm. and reassembled what the original Donna version of it was going to be. In some bits, it's filmed with rehearsal footage. Um, I think Reeve's audition mm-hmm. was the scene in Superman 2 where she finds out he's yeah, Superman. Yeah. Yeah. So that's done by showing like the, the rehearsal footage. So Christopher Reeves is a lot smaller in it before he'd bulked out and everything. So mm-hmm. And Marlon Brando's in it as well, which he wasn't mm-hmm. in the cinematic cut Probably for... for cost reasons. Yeah, it's essentially, yeah. Um, it was cheaper to... Which is why his mum suddenly appears in the second one. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But if you can overlook the very rough edits, it's a very different mm-hmm. film and it's worth watching. Mm-hmm. That's a film that got a sequel and deserved one, but uh, a film that didn't get a sequel. And speaking of world building, I thought Dread really deserved a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was, I think it's 2012 that came out. And it did a really good job of creating this post-apocalyptic dystopian future and kind of set everything in one location. It's a really good thriller. Dread never takes his helmet off and it's a really, really good film. And I thought that, you know, he should be expanded as a character. And there was a fan petition mm. to get a sequel made, but the film didn't perform at the box office. So it uh, nothing's materialised yet. I think we're getting a TV series. There's a TV right. series moving forward called Mega City One. All right. It's in the early stages, but it certainly is looking like it's happening. And there's discussions with Carl Urban about playing Dread in it. That'll be oh, awesome. I liked him. I thought I've, I've liked him in most things I've seen him in. And I see, thought he was a good dread. Do you see the Sylvester Stallone one? The, the, yes, mm-hmm. that's the one that I thought was Robocop. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, another one that I thought deserved a sequel is Serenity. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yes. Definitely. You just want like more Firefly, want, don't you? I mm. want more Mal Reynolds in my life. I really mm-hmm. do. I think the remaining cast and crew will be up for it. And. There's plenty more stories to be told. We know that from the TV series that was cut horrifically short. Although Fillion signed up to do The Rookie, which is a new series that starts in a month Does or two. Do you play a policeman in that yeah, one? Yeah, he plays a, a slight, an older guy going in as a yeah. trainee policeman for some reason that escapes me. But uh, I'll definitely be there for that one. Yeah. He's just likeable in everything. Isn't yeah. Even, I mean, um, Castle isn't a great series. Mm-hmm. But, but I watched it for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's great. I also like that Uncharted short that was released uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yet. I've never played Uncharted, so as somebody who doesn't know a thing about the game, or oh, you'd still, mm. I, you'd still, still I, I didn't what know anything about it, and I I enjoyed it. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uncharted, yeah, they're good, well made. They're perhaps a little following a preset storyline in a way, but that's fine. I, th- I think it works. I, I like that. On computer games, I just don't have the time. You know, where it's like there's a hundred hours. You can explore this city and do anything you want. I'm like, well, tell me what to do because I've got two hours. I always had that problem with Grand Theft Auto. Oh, I like driving around the city. Yeah. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto has a narrative you can find quite easily, though. Uh, uh, I keep losing it. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I liked to it. twice and two, get two Driving around, games. picking up hookers, running people over. Great. It's and then, Friday do, you, do you enjoy playing Grand Theft Auto as well? Yeah, that was good as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Pilgrim would you like to see a sequel to that no because <laughs> it's a perfect film I don't know what you would do with a sequel to it I love the film but I think it's a complete story just because you have no imagination doesn't mean they don't like to make a sequel <laughs> have you seen the theory that um, it's Scott Pilgrim's just insane <laughs> no there's a suggestion that he's had some kind of mental break and he thinks he's playing a computer game and he's just beating people to death and all the coins mm. coming out. And mm. it's, it's just a crazy serial killer. 
I still haven't seen that. And um, you, I lent you the DVD you four, and I, four years ago, I think I lent you the... Uh, you and I didn't know each other that well four years ago. We <laughs> just met for a few months and you lent me the DVD of Scott Pilgrim and I lent you the DVD of the Newsroom Season 3 and neither of us has seen we still, it. We, we still have the husband. <laughs> <Yeah. when I'm, laughs> it's a nice decoration on my DVD shelf because I needed more. So here you are recommending things to other people and neither <laughs> of you follow each other's recommendations. <laughs> I, I will do it tomorrow. I won't do it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange one, and you'll probably shoot me down for this, but I have my reasons. I would like to see a sequel to Kill Bill. Have you heard that there's Not a Kill Bill Kill volume two? <laughs> yes, I'm very aware of that. Thank you very much. But I would like to see the repercussions of the families of the people that she kills come back, and then she's not the protagonist anymore. So, like, the daughter of... Vivica A. Fox, mm-hmm. her character, her she gets murdered in front of her daughter, and then the bride gives her the speech, you know, in one day when you grow up and you want to get revenge, come and find me. So I'd quite like to see that film. They've talked about it, haven't they? I'm, Have I'm, they? I'm, I'm sure there's been on and off discussion about how we'd like to revisit mm. the characters. Were there court cases about that to do with whether or not they should have been paid as one movie or two? Did that get resolved? Oddly enough, this is what happened with Superman as well. This is part of the reason that mm. Marlon Vando wasn't in Superman 2. The Salskins had a habit of doing it, so they did it on Superman 1 and 2, and they did it as well with the other Richard Lester film, The Three Musketeers, mm-hmm. where they turned it into The Three Musketeers and The Four Musketeers. And the world said, oh, we've only got paid for one film. Yeah. Kill Bill as well. I think they were also yeah. under the impression they were doing one film and didn't, didn't get paid. But I think that's all resolved, but... I think Uma Thurman and Quentin Tarantino are... They've, they've had their issues. Yeah. Um, something about a car crash. Mm-hmm. Something went wrong with a car and she crashed On it. Kill Bill, yeah. And uh, she just didn't feel like she was being treated right. I, I still like to see a, a sequel to it, but I think Quentin Tarantino is busy at the moment. Um, he's developing a film which is set, I think it's like the late 60s. It's starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. And it's about the Manson family. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think that's the main focus of the film, but uh, certainly Sharon Tate features uh-huh. I think Brad Pitt plays Leonardo DiCaprio's stunt double in it. Do you reckon? No, genuinely, which is an interesting <laughs> concept. And Al Pacino is in there as well. Uh, it's certainly, yeah. it's a hell of a cast. Yeah, it is. In doing a bit of research for this, uh, I had a look to see what sort of sequels people are asking for. And some of these were from a year or two ago. And one of the interesting things is that quite a few of the films people mentioned are ones that recently have been announced that sequels are coming. So Zombieland, for example. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, Unbreakable was another one that you came the, up the, every the, so often. Uh, the trailer came out for that. Yeah, looks very good. Yeah, glass. That might be a shameful gap for me. Unbreakable. Unbreakable. Yeah. yeah, I didn't like um, Split. Well, I quite enjoyed Split, and certainly I think having them all together, I think mm-hmm. they'd be really good because I normally like James McAvoy. But Unbreakable is brilliant, and mm. I've, been, I've been wanting an Unbreakable sequel for a long time. Um, Leon. With Matilda, the age she would be now, so growing up. Well, that could be kind of interesting, couldn't it? So yeah. if you be mid-30s. I wouldn't want Jean Renaud finding another young girl. That would be, no, that would be a terrible idea. Actually, perhaps she should be the action assassin. He should be more an old man in his dotage. And you've almost totally reversed the yeah. relationship between them. Maybe he's like senile, so she's having to care for him. Yeah. Whilst going out and killing people. Doesn't sound like that much fun. No. <laughs> I sometimes get depressed watching action movies because I worry about all the people I've got injured as a result of what, you know, like where... Collateral damage. Yeah. Mm. Well, but that the, the bit in uh, Terminator 2 where he tells uh, Arnie that he's not allowed to kill people and instead he just kneecaps them yeah. all so now they're paralysed instead <laughs> of 
actually being dead. That almost mm-hmm. felt worse at the time. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, you know, when they're, they're racing through the streets in cars and you see cars go out of the way and crash into lampposts at the side, I'm thinking, yeah. oh, no, what a poor guy. I think that came home to me in speed. Well, I can't remember the ransom, but it wasn't as much as, like, the cost of the plane <laughs> they burst into. Um, yeah, all the people that they killed on the way there, yeah. Um, I would like to see a Taxi Driver sequel. And not now so much. Um, can, can, can we have a fantasy of them making this at the time? At the time, I would. Mm. Li- I would like to see where Travis Bickle was five years later. Do you reckon he's still in kind of a redemption mode, or has he gone back to how he was? I think he goes back to being a taxi driver, but those problems are still there. Mm. Psychologically, at the end of that film, he was still a massive mess, wasn't he? But he was yeah. somehow being treated as a hero because of what he'd done. And I could imagine all those problems manifesting themselves again five years down the line and him doing something horrible. And then how that reacts with how people treated him yeah. at the time. I think that's a really interesting That's I think that's a really interesting there. film. Yeah, that I'd mm. watch that, definitely. Mm. Although if it was present day, you'd have to call it Uber Driver. <laughs> Uber. Uber Driver isn't quite the same. <laughs> it's just hours of Robert De Niro trying to follow a shit sat nav. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think is the best sequel ever? You're not allowed Godfather 2, because that's the easy answer. Aliens. Mm, Yeah, I'd pretty much go with that. I'd agree with Aliens. I also, I'd probably Terminator 2 for me as well. So both Cameron then? Both Cameron, but Toy Story 2 as well. (laughs) Does the fact that Cameron has made two very good sequels make you more interested in Avatar Avatar. 2, 3, 4, 5? because it's still Avatar. (laughs) Our friend Ian Mayer, who is our occasional guest, said, you forget that Avatar is the highest grossing film of all time. Yeah. And yet nobody talks about it. There's no cultural recognition there and nobody's excited to see the sequel. Just yeah. bizarre, isn't it? It's yeah. just because I guess um, it was such a new concept at the time and, you know, it was like a genuine, exciting concept for 3D. And so everyone mm-hmm. wanted to see it for the experience. Um, I certainly didn't go watch it twice. Mm. People must have done. I don't know. Was it some of the box office that was in IMAX 3D? So it's 20 yeah. quid a ticket. Are there any sequels that you think ruined the franchise? Matrix. Yeah. Terminator. No, I can still watch Terminator. Wondering which one? Um, uh, I haven't seen three. I've heard it's not a good film, but has a very good ending. Mm-hmm. Mm. Salvation was very forgettable, and the less said about Genesis, the better. The question is, though, not which films have had shit sequels, because that's a lot of films. Yeah. I think the question is, which sequels ruin the original films for you? Yeah, so coming back to The Matrix, I think that franchise deserved more than what mm-hmm. the Revolutions and Reloaded gave it. But it was just such a an amazing film when it first came out in 1999, and then those two kind of just turned it into something that it's not. Mm-hmm. So mm. I think... That, that that would be my candidate. I can't watch The Matrix now without thinking of, well, this is who Neo actually is and mm. this is what they're talking about and it, it, it yeah. ruins it, the original for me. Yeah. I think it's worse when it's the original creative team behind it because you assume that that's what they had mm. in mind all along. Yeah. It, it tends to be things where they just invent a new mythology, like, um, say, the way Highlander 2 just invents weird stuff like they're all gods or something. Aliens, I it? believe. Yeah. I feel sad watching Aliens because the start of Alien 3 is just so depressing and just ruins the end of Aliens because they're going through all this thing to save Newt and Newt's such a brilliant character. You think, well, they're going through all this and she's just going to die. 
Colleague. I don't think you invalidate anyone in a film when you know they're going to die at the end. I don't well, think I, that makes them well, not have I, I, a right to the, exist. The whole thing with wise. aliens is about rescuing you and Ripley creating this family mm. with with yeah. um, Hicks and you. To and, replace our own family that yeah. obviously was lost in the mm. special edition. If I can give a non-nerdy example, and it's a very non-nerdy example, um, Desperate Housewives... <laughs> Genuinely a great series, um, but you become invested, and by the way, there's going to be spoilers for this, that you become invested in... Spoilers the, for Desperate House. Yeah. I think our audience will cope with that. Okay, good. Um, you become invested in the central couple, which is Susan and Mike. Um, they go through tremendous amounts of ups and downs. They go through more things than most couples have to deal with. And at the end of series eight, which is the final series... He dies in a very cheap way, in a very sudden way, in a way that doesn't make sense with his character. And you just think, for any newcomers to the series, you know, don't get invested in this couple because it ends in a very uh, unsatisfactory way. Mm. So I think deaths can have an impact okay. on on how you view mm. them for the rest of the Because sometimes that happens, say, for a contractual reason or someone's just not on the next season sort of thing mm, that, is that for a reason no or? um it's it was at the very end of the final series they just wanted a something as an end they just wanted you know something um they're running out of storylines i think so when you go back and watch earlier seasons of desperate housewives which i am doing at the moment <laughs> you're thinking well there's no point in getting invested in this relationship because he's going to i i feel sad because i know that mm -hmm. all of the things that they're doing at the moment to get back together is fruitless because it doesn't have a happy ending. Exactly how I feel about Aliens with the start of Alien 3. Mm -hmm. so it's a, yeah, mm -hmm. it's a thing. Mm -hmm. I think I only last about two seasons of Desperate Housewives then decided it was too much of a soap. <laughs> oh, so you missed the tornado going through the street in season four. Yeah, didn't see that. That was brilliant. Really? Okay. Yeah, really <laughs> good. <laughs> Twister never got a sequel. No, that's true. It could be called Let's Twist Again. Yeah, Let's twist again. <laughs> 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 we did last summer. And finally, our main review is Skyscraper. Mr. Sawyer, is your family enjoying their stay? Very much so. They're shocked you gave us the entire floor. After your security assessment, what do you think of the building? With all due respect, he's a glorified security guard. Please. The Pearl is the tallest, most advanced building in the world. You've built a vertical city, but you've brought with it every single safety and security challenge that I could think of. We thought this floor was empty. So did I. Not only have you brought them all indoors, but you've trapped them 240 floors in the air. No one really knows what would happen if things go wrong. But I'm just a glorified security guard, so what the hell do I know anyway? The Rock plays a former FBI agent called Will Sawyer, who's also an amputee from an um, unfortunate incident at the beginning of the movie. He's hired as a security consultant for a new skyscraper in Hong Kong called The Pearl. It gets attacked by terrorists. But unfortunately, Will Sawyer's wife and two twins are trapped inside and he fights to get them back and safe from the 96th floor. So we've all been to see it. What did we think? Die hard, isn't it? <laughs> well, it die wants hard. to be. <laughs> it wants to be die Whether hard. it is or not is slightly up for debate. I, I, no, I don't think it is. I think die hard is quite different in tone. I think there's more fun and uh, comedy in die hard. And I was thinking about why. Because in, I thought you were going to say the other way around. I thought no, you were going to say in this, which is interesting. No, well, I know that it's directed by um, a guy called Rawson Marshall. I think he's done, he's mainly done comedies. He, he did, he did mm -hmm. Dodgeball. Dodgeball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did Central Intelligence with The Rock. 
There was a few comedic moments in this, but I was trying to think about why I found Die Hard a bit lighter than this one. And I think it might be because Bruce Willis always knew where his wife was. Like, she knew she was in relative danger, but he knew that she was alive and he knew where she was. Whereas The Rock, for most of this film, figures that his wife and kids are either dead or in very mortal danger. And doing the odd quip would be seem inappropriate. So I think the duct tape, line which i thought was hilarious you know if you um if duct tape doesn't work you need more duct tape I, yeah that was cool but he didn't really kind of go any more comedic than that but which i mean it was still it was still fun all the way through <laughs> it's a bit fun and ridiculous um but i don't think it was on the diehard level of fun mm-hmm. and ridiculous mm-hmm. i think the rock can't do that every man character mm. they kind of try to de-rock him <laughs> Not like a priest. Do you mean? Do you mean because of his physical presence? <laughs> his physical, he's hard yeah, to take I mean, as he's, an everyman. He's massive, isn't he? And he's yeah. To have him as just yeah, just the everyman character for me didn't quite work. Hmm. You're right. You want you want to see him be the superhero. You want to see him be the ridiculous yeah. over the top action figure, which he he wasn't in this. Before we go, maybe too much in the negatives. I would say I did actually enjoy the film mm-hmm. quite a bit. Oh yeah, because it's very easy to kind of focus on. I, why wasn't it the best thing in the world? Sort of yeah, thing, I, just, I was just kind of saying why I didn't think it was Die Hard. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing will be will match Die Hard, in my opinion. It's mm-hmm. one of the greatest films of all time. But it reminded me of how certain action films used to be made. They didn't used to try and make it into some sort of psychological thriller as well as an action film mm-hmm. and have it like a, be a hybrid of genres. It is what it is, and I really enjoyed it. It's The Rock being awesome. <laughs> I, I came out and within two minutes of talking about it, came out with five ridiculous things about it and all the problems Name with it. Oh, easily. And so on and so on. But whilst I was watching it, I enjoyed every minute. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's, one of those, it's one of those films that you enjoy as long as you don't think about it too much yeah, and it, yeah. it falls apart as soon as you look at the logic of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so don't look at the logic of it and you'll be fine. <laughs> logic was the things like climbing up the outside of a crane higher than the Empire State Building, which is, as we know, yeah. 96 floors or something where his family were. He's climbed higher than that hand over hand, <laughs> then dangled over by his hands. He, he did climb up that six stories very, very quickly. <laughs> then yeah. that really hard thing that Tom Cruise does in one of the Mission Impossibles, where uh, he kind of lifts his whole body up yeah. just on his hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was the thing I was most looking forward to from the marketing of the film, where um, someone had drawn like the, the, the physics of him jumping from the crane into the skyscraper and it's like even if he does like a little squat and then a jump he's still not gonna make it through the open window there was a bit where he swung the hook on the bottom of the crane and got it to like land in yeah, the yeah. side so there was a rope and i felt cheating at that moment i thought he's not gonna do the jump he's gonna go down mm. the, and then it fell away yeah. and he had to jump yeah. i was like that, that's yeah i really I enjoyed that i would say that, that there are certain moments in the film where i felt genuine peril for some of the characters mm. Particularly when they're in the like the waterfall uh, scene, they're all together and they've got to get their kids from one side to the other um, across yeah, a, a plank. You should say at this point, there's a massive forest stroke park yes. with a waterfall built in the middle it's of basically the skyscraper. Avatar in yeah. the middle of a skyscraper. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think for me, the thing that most let it down was the villain or lack thereof. Mm. But maybe I'm being unfair and judging it against Die Hard and Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get what the motivation was. Some sort of blackmail. So obviously there's a higher crime syndicate that we don't see, which I would have liked to have seen. Could I ask in your role as a security cyber expert? You can. He had a USB stick that had the list of all the evil villains in the world on it that he had then copied and given to everybody. So all the police already had it. So if anything happened to it, it would be released. 
But if somehow the evil villain got hold of this original USB stick, Mm -hmm. he could make all the copies disappear and reverse engineer... There's ways you can do some of those things. <laughs> it depends where the other copies really are stored yeah. and how they're stored. And whether they're encrypted. Yeah, I was just yeah. watching it and I was thinking, this makes n- no sense. Maybe he could have just said, oh, I don't have a backup or something. <laughs> it felt like the, uh, it felt the need to open yeah. Another weird cyber thing was he said he needed root access and then plugged in the iPad and he now had root access mm-hmm. on his PC and that just seemed like bollocks. Can you explain two things? Yeah. One... What the fuck was the thing at the top of the building? I, I understand. It was a tennis ball. I understand the tennis ball, <laughs> and I understand the cool idea of how it had like cameras on each side, so you could make it look like you were floating above. Yeah, that'd be cool thing. But then why put random weird Enter the Dragon mirrors? It's purely to set up the scene later mm. on where um, they were shooting it. Things yeah, that they didn't yeah. realise were actual people. I think you, Peter, you turned to me and like, that's going to be set up for yeah. later on. I'm waiting yeah. for the, the, the gunfight yeah. in there later and on. And the other bit that was obvious as well is the the big wind turbines, when you see those mm-hmm. established yeah. at the beginning. I mean, the movie spends, <laughs> as these things often do, spends his first 30 minutes saying, here are all the toys we're going to play with later. Yeah. There's, a bit, there's a bit at the beginning where he fixes his iPhone yeah. and he goes, oh, remember, you've got to turn it off and on again 90% of the time. <laughs> I'm thinking, I wonder what, what she's going to have to do at the conclusion of the film here. Yeah, but, you know, we're taught in improv to reincorporate things, to bring things to a satisfying mirrored conclusion, so fair enough. <laughs> I like the fact that his wife was more capable, mm-hmm. yeah. but these films often portray the wife. It was nice to see Neve Campbell again. Yeah, was, though, to yeah. be honest, I thought it was Selma Blair to start with. <laughs> I was slightly, yeah. slightly confused for a while. I was worried at one point when I thought they might kill her off in Frigia, mm. but no, she turned out to have quite a pivotal role in the last mm-hmm. third um, yeah. and, you know, helped save the day, which I thought was good. And the kids were never in jeopardy because it was a PG-13 summer blockbuster with The Rock. Mm. If they'd have killed one of the kids, mm. that would have got me interested. <laughs> <laughs> because I remember... Not like, monster. now I like it. How <laughs> <laughs> was a dead child involved? No, I think that would have... You know, I, you never felt those kids were in jeopardy because it wasn't that sort of film. Yeah. And giving one of the kids asthma as well, was it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's suffered enough. My second thing I didn't understand was why did they need The Rock as part of their evil plan? Because he was cheap. No, not the, not, the, not the millionaire's plan. Not the millionaire's plan, the evil villain. It was for access to the tablet. Yeah. Literally. Which is another security breach. <laughs> <laughs> you should never have one person entirely in charge yeah. of that. And it should be able to be remotely uh, wiped as well. So I think also just having tapped this button to make the entire building turn yeah. off was sure. ridiculous. Has people never heard of two-factor authentication, yeah. honestly? So, <laughs> so they've got the rock there just so that they could give him the tablet so there was somebody outside So they could steal the, the tablet building. from him. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes some sense. No, it doesn't, but... No. Okay. <laughs> was there anyone who didn't think his best friend was going to be the bad guy oh, within God, milliseconds? so obvious. Mm-hmm. And the uh, British guy as well. The villains yeah. were all yeah. painted on. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, quite a predictable plot, but still, you know, yeah, I, 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 really I think had a good time. It's quite easy to tell for the trailer what you're going in for, yeah. and if that looks appealing, I think you probably will enjoy mm. it. I was disappointed with the ending. Um, I was looking forward to the rock parachuting off the building with his mm-hmm. kid because they set up the parachutes and mm-hmm. they had them at the top yeah. and there was a big thing about mm-hmm. that's how they're going to get off and it felt like that was building up to the yeah. exciting conclusion. And also he kind of just gave up and started hugging his kid and going, oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, kind of got off there. I, I, I got emotions at the end, I'm not going to lie. I, I have a thing about families being reunited. I don't know what it is. 
but I get really touched by it. So I had some tingling moments in there. That I could believe that bit. I would give it seven impossible feats of physics out of ten. Yeah, I think I'd also give it seven impossible feats of physics. So I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I would give it seven smells of what the rock is cooking <laughs> out of ten. Hello, listeners. It is now three hours from when we first recorded this episode. We're all a little bit drunk, but Dan's turned up. So he, can give, his, he can give his own review of Skyscraper. What? <laughs> Hello. Hello, Dan. Hello, Hi, Dan. <laughs> Fancy seeing you here. I know. I've, I've, I've popped in from the void where Ian has kept. You've been in Ian's void. <laughs> <laughs> and you left him tied up. And so John was fired <laughs> from the next Guardians of the Galaxy. So why am I here? You're here to give your review of The Rock and also Skyscraper if you feel like it. Well, uh, The Rock is a, a wonderful, wonderful man who I would not say anything disparaging about in any way because he's The Rock and he could... Kill you. Yeah, basically. With his little um, finger. But I'm not going to say anything too bad about Skyscraper either. I thought it was completely ridiculous and the plot was mega predictable, but it's also completely watchable and mega fun. For a film that's got such heavy foreshadowing, because you know which of the goodies will turn out to be baddies mm. within microseconds of them turning up on screen, they did manage to work in some genuine peril for me, and I even feared for The Rock at certain points. Uh, there were shots where the camera showed you just how high up he really was when he's clambering across the cranes and on the window ledges and things like that, and that made my stomach jump a little bit. We, never, we didn't see it in 3D, did we? We didn't. No, I think I think it's one of the few ones I think would benefit from 3D. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It would have been a bit like that uh, Robert Zemeckis film. Was it uh, not Man on Wire, but The Walk? I think it was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where they had to put warnings in the 3D showings because of how vertigo-inducing mm. they were. Um, That's a crossover sequel, isn't it? Man on Wire between two skyscrapers exploding whilst the Rock tries to save him. Skyscraper two, scrape harder. <laughs> No? no? There's a joke there that even <laughs> I'm not going to go. <laughs> you don't want the rock as your gynecologist. <laughs> and so John was fired from the Guardians of the Galaxy film after that one. Um, but yeah, uh, the rock is his usual charismatic self in Skyscraper, and Nev Campbell gets some great moments as well. Uh, she proves her character is just as capable in a crisis as he is. Uh, she has to do a lot of... Uh, almost action hero work and is really good at it as well uh overall i'd say it's no die hard but it's better than several sequels of die hard and i would give it six skyscrapers it doesn't matter how many skyscrapers <laughs> you want to give it ah uh, how long have you been waiting for that rock reference since 1994 excellent <laughs> which i think is the last time he made that joke i don't want to be pedantic and correct you please correct me when did he, you... he didn't have his first match till 96 really yeah we would discuss it how old is the rock I'd put him in his early to mid 40s at this point. Yeah. yeah. Um, when he was at this height as a wrestler, he was only in his 20s. When he, he was did. a pebble. When he was a pebble. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he got out into films at about the age of 30. All that pales in comparison to the fact that you have a film buff or film bluff for us. I do. Would you like to uh, proceed? I would like to proceed. Uh, my film buff or film bluff is about the fact that I am left handed. Mm. Right? And so I've got three <laughs> facts about left-handed characters in films. Uh, okay. Okay. So, uh, number one, the character Paul McCartney, 
played by Paul McCartney in A Hard Day's Night, and Help, the Beatles films, is left-handed because the real Paul McCartney was, and they weren't going to fake it to make him fit in with everyone else. Mm -hmm. B, the character of Chewbacca in Star Wars is left-handed because in The Empire Strikes Back, he's seen fixing part of the Millennium Falcon using tools with his left hand. And C, the character of Robert Langdon in The Da Vinci Code is left-handed because Da Vinci was famously left-handed too. Ooh. Mm. Ooh. Do Wookiees have hands? Are they not paws? I would say because they can fly spaceships and things like that, and you'd probably consider them hands. What's the difference between a hand and a paw? Opposable thumbs. Okay, yeah. so Wookiees have opposable thumbs. Presumably, yes. It's, okay. it's the lap that matters, really, with a Wookiee. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't claim to have studied Wookiee biology. I, I, want, I, want, that, I want that Wookiee reach around while I'm mm. getting the dance. That's, yeah. I've read The Da Vinci Code. I've read a lot of Dan Brown novels, and I don't ever remember Robert Langdon ever being described as left That's because your brain's um, turned to mush, having read The Da Vinci Code. I, I've even read his new one that came out last year. This isn't necessarily the character of Langdon in the books. This is as portrayed by Tom Hanks mm. in the film. Is Tom Hanks left-handed? Not to my knowledge. Because mm. it's a lot of effort. He's a very good actor, though, and yeah. he could play opposite-handed. You wouldn't want to spend weeks, if not months, learning to use your other hand. That's something that Jared a... Letter would do. Yeah. Would do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tom Hanks could pick it up quite quickly, though, because he's Tom Hanks and he's mm-hmm. good at that sort of thing. The problem I have with the first one is, if the character of Paul McCartney is being played by Paul McCartney, then the character of Paul McCartney would be left-handed, so I don't see why they would specifically... Surely the first one's got to be true, because I mean, all the footage where he's playing is going to be playing his bass left-handed. Yeah, but why would they want to make him right-handed? Just for com- composition of the shots and stuff? Uh, I think Dan was running out of left-handed questions and had to make up one about someone he knew was left-handed. Yeah. You could have gone for um, the guy from The Simpsons. I could have gone for Thanos because he does wear the Infinity Gauntlet on his left hand, but I can't prove that makes him left-handed. No, I think that's I, th- I think that's right because it's just yeah. I'm I'm going to go within Da Vinci Code. I'm going to go Da Vinci Code because I just don't. I haven't heard that before. I'm going to go with the Wookiee because I think Wookies are ambidextrous. <laughs> well, then oh, not that's left-handed. bound to be right now. Peter and Hazel are correct. Yay! <laughs> yeah. I made up the Robert Langdon one. Paul McCartney is just left-handed. I did, in fact, run out of left-handed yep. film characters. Uh, so I found lots of left-handed <laughs> actors, but I don't know whether their characters necessarily are. Mm. Tom Cruise, for example, left-handed, but I'm pretty sure that Maverick and Top Gun and is probably doing right-handed stuff because that's probably how they're trained. But uh, Chewbacca is left-handed, officially. Mm. Is the actor plays Chewie left-handed? Um, Peter Mayhew must be, because... Mm-hmm. Well, is he now, though? Now it's a different actor. Or has he changed yeah, when to be they, When they replaced him with... Uh, Juna Sotomo. Juna um, Sotomo. When Solo comes out on DVD, I will re-watch it and report back. Okay. Right. I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to the end of another Nerdfest podcast. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Remember to check us out on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Nerdfest UK. Please send in your suggestions for more debate topics that we can tackle. And you can also get some Nerdfest merchandise from the redbubble.com website. But until the next episode, you have been listening to... Peter Johnson. Hobbit number 11, John Farthing. (laughs) 
I'm Hazel Burton. See you Hobbit next time. Number twelve. Hobbit number twelve. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. 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 Cut the music. Cut the music. The Rock says, "Who are you, two Rudy Poos?" <laughs> you don't even know the Dudley Boys. Oh, he knows them. Little head game going on here. You should know by now that we are...